Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. Uh, boy, does your pastor uh, miss seeing you all. Um, we're, we're still praying for you during the midst of this time, but we want to continue to dive into God's Word together through our online service. And so we pray you've got your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our march through this book this morning. We are going to read uh, verses 1 through 5 again. Uh, and we are going to look at verse 5 this morning in a sermon entitled, God's Gospel Word. Here is what the precious, inerrant, infallible Word of God says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, uh, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, <clears throat> and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you uh, for your word, uh, your word by which you created all things that exist and by which all things that exist are held together. Uh, that word which brought light into darkness and life into death. Father, we thank you that your very word is the word we read this morning. We desire for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does in conjunction with your word, Father, to bring us to conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that your people might see Christ in all of his glory. We might be transformed by your word this morning. That is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, but I, this morning, am here to tell you that God's word is worth a million pictures. They say talk is cheap, but I'm here to tell you that God's word is invaluable. They say actions speak louder than words, but God's word is the source of all good action. And really the idea of our passage this morning, which is really going to be the first half of verse 5, is that God's gospel word, working through his spirit, is the most powerful force in the entire universe. I want you to hear that. God's gospel word working through his spirit is the most powerful force in the entire universe. Uh, Paul was convinced of that, and I am as well. And so I want us to look and see how one might come to that conclusion as we better understand what Paul is saying to us here in 1 Thessalonians verse 5. Um, particularly if you go back and starting in verse 4 where he says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Now remember last week, 
Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they always gave thanks to all the believers, or for all the believers in Thessalonica. They gave thanks to God in their regular times of prayer, uh, consistently. They gave thanks because of the evidence of their conversion that we saw, the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But ultimately, they gave thanks to the Lord because the Thessalonians were uh, elected by God. They were his children. And that brings us to our verse this morning here. Uh, Paul explains in in verse 5 how they knew that God had chosen the Thessalonian believers. Why was that their deep conviction that God had done this? See, their confidence was grounded in the power of the gospel word preached. Paul's confidence was grounded in the power of the gospel word preached. If you look at verse 5a again, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Notice first of all, however, that Paul is not saying that the gospel did not come in word. I think we'd be misinterpreting this passage if we thought by this that Paul was saying that the gospel did not come to them in word. That's not what he's saying. Paul's not saying that the gospel did not come to them in word. In fact, a parallel verse, if you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, Paul says this. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. They had heard the word of God and they had received it as not the word of men, but the word of God. It is certainly a gospel word as well as Paul wrote to uh, the Romans in chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so friends, there must be a proclamation of the, God's gospel word. This is no absolute contrast that he's saying here in verse 5. He's not saying not the word, but power. It's a relative contrast. He's saying not only the word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full assurance. When Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, when they rolled into Thessalonica, they preached Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Jesus as the Messiah, whom all peoples had been waiting for, the one whom God would send to take away the sins of the world. That's the content of the gospel. But I want us to clearly see that there's no antithesis between the gospel as word and the gospel as power in spirit, right? I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the old adage, share the gospel often, but when necessary, use words, right? Share the gospel and if necessary, use words. I don't mean to be offensive but that's dumb, okay? That, that's a dumb statement. Don't say it. The gospel can only really be shared through words. It requires words because the gospel is not what we do. The gospel is what God has done. 
Uh, Jesus came and lived a perfect life, fulfilling the entire law, laying down his life on behalf of sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, and then was raised up on the third day so that we might be justified uh, through faith in him. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he now even reigns as king. Jesus is king. Repent and believe. That is the gospel message. It's a report of the person, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and current reign of King Jesus. Think about it. Would you watch a news program that attempted to communicate the news to you through drama? Would you? Would you watch a news program that attempted to communicate the news to you through a drama? Maybe if you were watching an SNL skit, sure, it might be entertaining or humorous in that way. But if the news was important and you wanted to understand it, you'd want words, right? Proclaim it to me. Explain it to me. Paul writes that the gospel had come to you not only in word, but Paul did not write that the gospel came without words. Remember, Paul was a herald. He was, his calling was to broadcast the greatest news that had ever been heralded. Uh, Paul was a minister of the word, but, but not a ministry of just any word. It was a ministry of the word of the Lord. When the gospel is proclaimed, it's the word of the Lord that's being proclaimed. When the gospel word is spoken, the spirit of Christ testifies about Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus would tell his disciples in Luke 10 verse 16 this saying, He who hears you, he says, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I'll say it one more time. Luke 10, 16. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Friends, that's a simple understanding to apply this. To hear the gospel word is to hear Jesus. And to reject the gospel word is to reject Jesus. This is why Paul commends the Thessalonians for receiving the word, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. If it is the word of Jesus speaking, and we can attest to that, that this gospel word is the word of the Lord speaking. As we proclaim his word, that it is he, him who is speaking, then friends, I am convinced that it is the most powerful force in all of the universe. Think about it. If it's actually the words of Jesus being proclaimed, that word is more powerful than any other force in all the universe. You can see why I would be excited to preach this morning, right? I get to proclaim this to you. And if I proclaim it rightly, I speak with the authority of Christ. These words have power. Not because of me, I'm a fragile vessel of a man with clay feet. I know that, but I'm proclaiming the king's message. Therefore, take heed. And, and think about this. When I say that it is the most powerful force in all the universe, it's not hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating here. Uh, when you think about power, what do you think about? I don't know, maybe armies or vast amounts of military force. You think of nukes. The entire nuclear arsenal in all of the world. The reality is, though, 
the greatest armies of the world with the most sophisticated weaponry in the world is like paper mache against the word of God. That's the reality. I mean, look at Genesis 1. Everything that exists, 100 billion galaxies full of 100 billion stars created by the word of God. Light shined because God spoke it into existence. Water separated, lands formed, plants germinated, fish, birds, and mammals were all created through the word of the Lord. Let me ask you, did Alexander the Great ever say, let there be and there was? Did Hitler ever say, let there be and there was? Can nuclear power bring into existence that which isn't? Is it not the very word of Christ that holds every atom in the universe together at this very moment? Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Christ, he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things. How? By the word of his power, thus says the Lord. Is this how we conceive of the word of God? Let me ask you. Do you think there is a difference between the word of God that created all things, sustains all things, and the gospel word that's proclaimed to you this morning? Is that how we think of what God had said in his word to us? Do we recognize its power? And listen to me, I know the difficulties we must be facing right now, right? Not only listening to this, if you're listening with your kids around, but coming to church, not having nursery right now, and involving your kids in a, a time where we expect them to behave and we expect them to listen, and they may not be mature for that yet. But listen to me, friends. If, if the gospel word that we proclaim really is the most powerful force in the universe, don't we dare think that it cannot work in our kids' lives as they sit under the preached word. Don't fall into the temptation to think that, that because they may be running around or they may not be focusing all their attention, even in service this morning, that the word of God is returning void. It is not. It is a seed that is planted. It's the most powerful force in all the universe. And, and frankly, your kids are listening. Uh, they're hearing it. We're, we're trusting that as we preach and proclaim the word that it is not falling on deaf ears. And, and listen, Paul's confidence in the election of the believers in Thessalonica was not grounded in his own rhetorical ability or reasoning skills. His confidence was in the word of God working through the spirit of God. That's how he knew what he knew. Because the gospel message had went out with power. So I give thanks to God because you are the elect of God. But friends, let me be honest. Church, I believe in, in many ways we've lost our confidence in the word of God. I'm afraid we show we despise his word by giving more attention to vain and empty speech of this world than we do the written word of God. Even in our churches... The word has been replaced with the word of man. From the pulpit, man's wisdom abounds, but seldom is the word of God preached in the power of the spirit. Is that not true? Friends, we should repent. We should repent. We have been guilty of not accepting the word of God for what it really is, the power 
power unto salvation and the power unto sanctification. Even when the word is rightly divided, it's often delivered with greater dependence on communication theory than it is the spirit of God. It should never be. Charles Spurgeon was right when he said this. He said the gospel is preached in the ears of all. It only comes in power to some. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of man. We might preach our tongues rotted till we should exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless there were mysterious power going with it. The Holy Ghost changing the will of man. Oh, sirs, we might as well preach to stone walls as preach to humanity unless the Holy Ghost be with the word to give it power and convert the soul. Amen. As our verse makes clear, the word of God working through the spirit is the power unto salvation. Paul had the confidence that the people he was writing to in Thessalonica were the elect of God because the word of God had come in power of the spirit. Paul's confidence was grounded in the power of the gospel word working through the spirit. This is what we'll spend the rest of our time looking at now. Paul's confidence was grounded in the power of the gospel word as it worked through the spirit of God. I want us now think about this as it, uh, how, what actually happened when, when Paul proclaimed the gospel word and how does the spirit of God work through the gospel word? So what happened when Paul arrived in Thessalonica and he proclaimed the word of God? Uh, what that power in the work of the Holy Spirit and that full assurance, what does that look like? Well, the four things that we'll conclude with. See, the word of God is proclaimed and the spirit through the word divides. That's the first thing we'll see. The word of God is proclaimed and the spirit through the word divides. We turn to Acts 17 verse 4 and you'll read this. This is Paul coming to the church in Thessalonica. He proclaims the gospel in the synagogue for many days and then verse 4 gives us the result. It says, and some of them were persuaded and a great multitude joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious. It might not seem obvious, but, but what has the word just done? It's divided, hasn't it? Some were persuaded and they followed Paul and Silas. That is, they became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some were angry. The word comes as a sword and divides humanity into two. When Jesus sent out his 12 apostles to proclaim his word, he warned that this would be the effect of the sword. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, the following, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What's the, the sword that Jesus is talking about here? Is it not the word of God? Uh, look at John 6, his, his words, Jesus' words, ultimately caused division here. Jesus told them in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. 
Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The words of Jesus divided people. So we're not surprised that the gospel word proclaimed by his disciples in the power of the Spirit has the same effect. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be surprised that some reject and some are persuaded because, friends, that is what the gospel word does. It doesn't mean that the word is not powerful. It means that it is doing exactly what Jesus said it would do. And, and this is what happened in Thessalonica. The word came in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full assurance and the elect were separated from those who rejected the message. The word brought division. Christian, do you realize that this is why you are listening to this this very mor morning? This is why you're listening to me proclaim, explain, and apply the word of God? It's because at some point, someone proclaimed the gospel to you. You heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit applied it to your heart, and you were divided from the rest of humanity. If you are a Christian, you are here because of the power of the word working according to the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is why Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's what he means. But let me ask you, do we believe that the proclamation of the gospel has this type of power? Or do we shrink back and think, well, if I don't say it right, it's really not going to do anything. Friends, if we believe that, then we actually believe that the power is in us. Proclaim Jesus. It will have the effect that God desires. The message is easy. We've sinned against a holy God, and Jesus came to rescue sinners. That's the gospel. Believe him. Follow him. He is king with all power and authority. He reigns on high. Someday your knee will bow. Make it today before you're separated from him for all eternity. That word has power. And listen, that word has power not just because I speak it with emotion. I could say that in the most mundane voice possible and it would carry the exact same effect. So the word of God working through the spirit of God divides, but the word of God working through the spirit of God also regenerates. That is, it brings life. The word of God was proclaimed and the spirit through the word regenerated, changed hearts. The word brings life as it divides. As you recall from John 6, when many people following Jesus turned back because of Jesus' words, uh, Jesus asked the 12 apostles, do you guys want to go away as well? And what did Simon Peter say? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, the Holy Spirit works through the word to bring life to bear. That's the word picture that Jesus paints in the parable of the sower and the seed, right? The seed is broadcast and it falls on soil and some of the soil is hard. The devil swoops down and steals that seed away. Some of it is rocky and something springs up, something that looks like life, but, but as soon it dives away, as, as soon as the heat of the sun comes, suffering, affliction. Some of it grows up and it, it really looks like life, but it's actually choked out by the thorns and cares of this world. And some seed falls on good soil and life is born. Real life, 
abiding life, lasting and persevering life. Jesus says when he explains the parable to his disciples that the seed is the word. It is the word of God. The gospel word is the seed of life. It's that seed that's germinated by the power of the spirit bringing a harvest of righteousness. Don't miss this though. The life is not in the seed, or the life is in the seed, not the soil. The life is in the seed, not the soil. The soil that produces life is good, but there is no life there until the seed is planted. It's the seed that has life in it, not the soil. It's the word of God that has life in it. Just as Lazarus was brought to life through the words of Christ, Lazarus come forth, so also dead people are brought to life when the word of Christ is proclaimed in the valley of dry bones. That's the picture. The proclamation goes in power and the Holy Spirit brings life where once there was only death. Praise God that the word working through the spirit regenerates. The gospel word not only divides, regenerates, but the gospel word working through the spirit also gathers. It gathers. Consider the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. That's why you don't believe. I speak my words and they go forth, but you do not hear them and you do not respond. Then what does he say in verse 27? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you are a sheep and you hear the voice of the shepherd, you respond and follow him. You know the voice of your shepherd. No noise can drown his voice out as you go. You, as you go to follow your shepherd, you are surrounded by other sheep because a shepherd is always surrounded by his sheep. Jesus just doesn't have one sheep. He has a whole bunch of them. And this church testifies to that. In fact, if we were able to pull back on Sunday morning and see the whole world for an instance, we would see that all over the world today, sheep are gathering around the voice of the shepherd. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And friends, it's really that simple. Let me ask you, have you ever felt frustration because you are sharing the gospel or proclaiming the word of God. You explain scripture to someone and it all seems so abundantly clear. It's logical. It's all laid out. In what world would this not make sense? And you just get a blank look or worse yet, you actually receive vehemence or rejection or even hatred. Friends, it's because you have just spoken the word of God to someone who does not know God. It's the same response you had before the Holy Spirit plowed up your hard heart. See, this is why Paul could give thanks knowing that God has chosen them. Because when they receive the word, not as the word of man, but as it actually is the word of God, they showed themselves to be sheep. That gospel word gathers the sheep together. They gather to hear the word of God, to sing the word of God, to pray the word of God, and to speak the words of their shepherd. Finally, the word of God was also proclaimed in the spirit through that word. The word of God working through the spirit not only divides, regenerates, and gathers, but it keeps them. 
It kept them. That's what the word of God does. It keeps. It sustained them. Granted them perseverance. I can't do better than what Jonathan Lehman wrote in his book Reverberation where he says God's word working through God's spirit is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. Do we get, do we get that? Read it again. God's word working through God's spirit is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. So in Acts 2, we read that the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They were devoted to the apostles' doctrine because the apostles' doctrine was the doctrine of Christ. It was the word of Christ. Let me ask you, why do you think Jesus commended Mary and gently rebuked Martha? Did Mary not choose the better thing? To sit and hear, to sit and listen to the words of Christ? Listen, the works of service and the ministry of the word are not equal. That's because works of service, if they're not born out of the ministry of the word, are not pleasing to God. That's why at the end of Paul's life, his most pressing concern was that his son in the faith, Timothy, preached the word in season and out. Because the gospel word divides, regenerates, gathers, and keeps God's people. It keeps us. It maintains us. It's not just a gospel word unto salvation, but it's a gospel word unto sanctification. Listen to me, church. You need the gospel word as much today, as much as you did the day you were saved. If you're disconnected from that word in any way, you are in peril. God's people do not live on bread alone, but on every word coming from the mouth of God. It's an abiding word that not only gives life, but continues to unite us with Christ and with his people. It daily sanctifies us. It separates us from the world. That's the effect of the word of God. Did Jesus not pray in the high priestly prayer in John 17, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth? The gospel word is truth. Therefore, we must pay closer attention. As the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. He's serious. The word of God is not to be trifled with. Friends, we don't gather to hang out. I love you. But, but if you do not come expecting to hear from God, then we gather in vain. We need the word of God, and we need it more than just on Sundays and Wednesdays, by the way. You need to be hearing it, speaking it, reading it to people who don't know the gospel and, and, and those who do. It needs to so grip your heart that your mind is constantly being transformed by it. And I want to conclude this morning with this. Jonathan Lehman uses this illustration where he invites us to picture a church. And I just want to picture ourselves here. Let's think of First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. And he says, uh, take away the programs, which frankly wouldn't take very long right now, right in this season. Take away our, our fellowship dinners. Take away our building even. Take away everything. And, and make it just... Us as a people gathered in the field over here. What do we need to be the church? 
If you take away all those things, what is it that we need to be the church? He responds to that question with this quote. God's word working through God's spirit. He says somebody has to pick up a Bible and read it. And somebody has to explain it so people will understand it. When this happens, the spirit begins to work upon people's hearts, causing them to believe the words and give a proper weight to them. The people then repeat the words in their songs and prayers. They discover, most remarkably, that they can speak to God as guided by these biblical words. They also repeat the words of God to one another throughout the week. They help each other discern his will for their lives. Then their lives begin to be shaped by the words so that they begin to live differently at work and at home. They discover that these words are life-giving, hope-giving, and love-producing. Friends, all we need to be a church is to gather around God's word as he works through his spirit. Do you view it that way? Do you come expectant from that? Expecting that God's word is going to speaking and that God's word speaking is the most powerful force in the entire universe? Oh, friends, we have such a low view of God and his word and such a high view of self. We need to repent. We need to understand that this, the gospel word proclaimed, is the most powerful force in the universe. It's not some political party. It's not some vaccination. (laughs) It's God's gospel word. That's the most powerful force in all the universe. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, we confess together that though we may assent to it intellectually, we may know and say that your word has power, we may even proclaim that it has great power. Lord, our practice is weak. Our right response to the truth of your word is not fitting for a people who've been saved by it. Father, would you forgive us? Lord, would you help us by your grace and the work of your spirit to recognize the power of your word and our desperate need for it? Would you create in us a hunger and expectation that we might be shaped by your word? Would you help us study your word, apply it to be the work of your spirit? Lord, we want to be a people of your word. We want to be a people of your word, to be a people transformed by the message of your son Jesus Christ, that when we encounter the trials and tribulations of daily life, whether they be small as the mundane routine in home or out, or whether they be as large as having to decide whether or not we confess the name of Jesus or die, that we would stand in honor of you because your word abides in us. Father, we pray this in the precious name of your son Jesus Christ. Amen. Church family, in our time of invitation, let me ask you, if you're not a believer, have you experienced the power of God's word? I'm trusting the spirit has worked in your heart and hopefully you've heard the gospel this morning. If God stirred your heart in any way, would you please do me a favor? Would you contact me? Um, Would you call the church office or my cell phone number? Uh, Contact somebody in your church and just tell them, the Lord's working in me, I, I think I need to be saved. We'd love the opportunity to share Christ with you. And church family, 
the application is very clear for us, isn't it? When the, the world is, is going crazy like it is today, go to the source of real power, God's word. Do you, do you feel that in your life right now? Are you being driven because of the circumstances and the things going on in the world? Are you being driven towards the word of God? True Christians will be. Look, it's, it's, it's easy not to play this video. It's, it's, it's easy to be overwhelmed in today's day and age. But church family, this is the most powerful force in all the universe. God's word working through his spirit. Open your Bibles, read it, repent for how you've viewed it, and be hungry for his word day in, day out. And my promise is it will be well for your soul if you are in Christ. Thank you, church. I love you. Please reach out if we can do anything for you, minister to you in any way. We miss you. God bless. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.